What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. You're tuning in to Done by Law on 3CR on 855 AM. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional and rightful custodians of the land we are broadcasting from. We pay our respect to elders and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It's 6pm on the 19th of October 2021 and we are your hosts Dylan and Indy. How's it going Indy? Great, how are you Dylan? Good, thank you. Tonight, we are going to continue the discussion on the growing militarisation of police and, in particular, the use of force and the riot police people may have been seeing increasingly present on our streets in Melbourne. In August, police used some of this new specialist riot gear for the first time for the anti-lockdown protests. During those protests, we also saw a lot of excessive force being used. We want to be clear that we are not condoning the anti-lockdown protests because we believe there were far-right and anti-vax undertones. However, the reason we're having this discussion is that the use of this type of equipment is concerning. And as a senior police officer said, they are considering using this kind of specialist riot gear and police force known as PORT, the public order response team, more in the future. Yeah, and I'll give our listeners some background on what these riot police are. So in 2011 in Victoria, there was around 300, and there's probably more now, police officers being taken off like their general duties and retrained as a part of this public order response team. And they were given specialist training for things like crowd control. And at the time they said that the purpose of these riot police in inverted commas was to provide this force of numbers response and they could flood um, public order incidents to try and control them. And some of the training that they received or some of the equipment that they um, were trained to use were things like a 175-shot pepper ball semi-automatic rifle. And what that does is it fires capsicum rounds and blunt force bullets that are the size of marbles into crowds. And they had training in how to use stinger grenades, capsicum canisters, and 40 millimeter launches that fired like squash ball projectiles. So pretty hardcore equipment. So tonight we're, given the fact that there was some of this equipment was used in these recent protests and although we're not condoning them in any way we're just talking about the use of this equipment and also the use of excessive force and the militarization of police we're having a bit of an ongoing discussion about that and also talking a bit about 
if there's checks and balances at law to ensure that there isn't unrestrained police powers and what people's rights are when it comes to police in times of protests. So we've got two fantastic guests with us today. We have Tom. Tom is a criminal uh, defence barrister with several years experience in criminal practice. Tom is an active member of the Melbourne Activist Legal Support Organisation and regularly hosts workshops regarding protest rights. And we're also speaking to Ilu who works at the Police Accountability Project as an advocacy coordinator pushing for systemic change to racialised policing. And Ilu also works at MALS in monitoring police tactics at protests and has many years' experience in the human rights sector in Australia and internationally. So thank you, Tom and Ilu. I really appreciate you guys being with us tonight. Hi, nice to be here. Hi, hi, everyone. I'll start with you, Ilu. Some corners of government and law enforcement are using these current, and I say in inverted commas, protests as an excuse or justification for this increased militarisation of the police force. Can you talk a little bit about some of the concerns with militarising the police and potentially the long-term impacts on community? I sure can. And thanks for having having us um, on the show. A uh, really great opportunity to talk about, um, you know, a really concerning trend that we've been seeing at MALS and, and, um, and then what that means for my work, particularly at the Police Accountability Project. Uh, first, to start off, just to say that, you know, I don't, no one's no one's um saying no one's talking about the substance of the protest we're talking about the response to um just to get that out of the way um and the response to is the police using uh these tools these new weapons as you really well really um, put really well in the uh, at, at the beginning these tools that we've never seen used in a public order um way before so that's really concerning so the use of these pepper pepper balls, um, the rifle pepper rounds, uh, the baton grenades, um, and uh, sting, even you know purported use of the stinger grays, really concerning to uh, in, for the for the landscape of protests into the future. You know, there's a big question about what protest is going to look like post the pandemic, and what policing of the protests is going to look like. So I think there's a lot to unpack as to you know the use of these weapons and the use of these new tactics. So we're seeing, uh, we also saw the use of the Bearcat um, from a team called the CERT team, the Critical Incident Response Team, which is a team that we don't often see on the streets um, when they're doing public order policing. So this is a specialised team that the police have for for almost a semi-terrorist um, um, uh, events. And so not often seen for protest events. And so the, the fact that these these assets are being used and deployed by Victoria Police for protests is really, really concerning. And the impact that can have is not only on protests, but also, you know, from in my line of work at the Police Accountability Project is what this means for communities of colour, what this means for communities of, um, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. These weapons have already been deployed in some of these communities. And the fact that, you know, the Vic, Vic Pole are bold enough to be able to start using them just on public order policing really is concerning 
about what the implications could be for these communities of colour to see these 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 assets being deployed in their communities. I was just going to jump in in relation to the risks that those new weapons um, used by police create for protesters and um, even though the police have uh, I guess guidelines uh, as to how they're used um, they create risks firing projectiles into crowds of people Um, it's in France during the 2019 protest 2024 people lost eyes uh, as a result of injuries sustained by uh, policing with projectile weapons for those sorts of protest events so um, if Victoria Police keep using those weapons, it just creates that risk ongoing and into the future at those events that people suffer serious harm. Thanks, Tom. That actually um, is a good intro, intro to the, the next question we had, was that MALS released a statement of concern in about August in relation to the use of, of these uh, weapons, especially in relation to how these weapons go beyond what's considered reasonable and proportionate in terms of what is reasonable and proportionate to use by the police. Tom, are you able to talk about what legal safeguards we have to protect the public from this kind of unrestrained use of police power? Yeah, so there are a couple of layers. The go-to legislation is the Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities, which is legislation that covers everybody in Victoria, regardless of their political beliefs or their citizenship status. Um, And there are provisions in that In relation to protests, particularly Section 16, which states that every person has the right to peaceful assembly, um, it's not a strong safeguard. uh, And usually the way it operates is uh, retrospectively, just like um, the Victorian Ombudsman investigated the um, lockdown of the the towers in North Melbourne and, and Flemington, where it was found that the state government had infringed on the rights of those residents on their human rights human rights they're entitled to under the Charter. Um, Despite that finding that the Victorian government had breached the Charter of Human Rights, um, it still hasn't apologised publicly. There hasn't really been any consequence. So really, it's an aspirational piece of legislation where people are entitled to those things, but often those entitlements are sort of sifted, you know, uh, determined after the fact. So at a protest event on the ground on the day, it's, um, it's hard to sort of point to a bit of legislation say hey you can't you can't do this um, public health and well-being act which is being used by at least to justify a lot of the the powers that they've exercised um, recently has uh, at the front to, uh, at the start of the act has a lot of principles about the way the act is meant to be applied explicitly the principle of proportionality stating that uh, decisions made and actions taken in the administration of this Act should be proportionate to the public health risk, sought to be prevented, minimised or controlled. And um, there's another section within the Act 112 that says that if there are alternatives to minimising the health risks to public, less oppressive alternatives, then the less restrictive course should be taken. So um, that legislation applies to everyone um, uh, and they're... They should be legislative safeguards, but the way that the government has, uh, I suppose, administered the public health response has been through a state of emergency that they've declared through the the Public Health and Wellbeing Act, and that's now been in place for um, it's over 18 months now, since the 16th of March 2020, and it's the first time those powers were invoked by 
the government. And um, essentially what it means is that during the period in which there's an emergency declared, the chief health officer has extraordinary powers. Um, so uh, all of the, uh, many of the ways you've seen those protest events have, have been policed recently, have been through the powers um, uh, under the Public Health and Wellbeing Act, the Chief Health Officer's directions. People have been issued with infringements due to breaching those, not being out for one of the approved reasons, you know, gathering in a public space, contrary to the, the public restrictions that are in place. And, you know, they've been arrested and charged under that act using those extraordinary powers, uh, which give give the um, the police that that sort of extra um, ability to to essentially say, well, you shouldn't be here in the public place. Um, and questions about proportionality tend to fall to the wayside uh, at those events from what we've seen. Help make 3CR's Trans Day of Audibility broadcast happen. Donate on Give Out Day this Friday, October 15th. Give Out Day is a national day of giving to LGBTIQA plus organisations, community groups and projects. Donations on Give Out Day are doubled by Give Out and their partners. That means that your donation will be matched dollar for dollar. 3CR's Trans Day of Audibility broadcast will bring together a range of queer programmers and presenters to showcase and celebrate underrepresented voices for Trans Day of Visibility in March 2022. Your donation will help elevate and amplify the voices of trans communities as part of this dedicated special broadcast. To donate, just head over to giveout.org.au forward slash 3CR Community Radio before the end of Friday, October 15th. Or check out our socials or our website at 3cr.org.au. For more information about Give Out Day, check out giveout.org.au. Give Out is a 3CR supporter. Um, just got going on from what you've just been talking about. I said we said earlier in in this discussion that one of the police, senior police officers said that they're looking to use these kinds of um, police forces more in the future. Do you think do you think it's likely following the end of this state of emergency that these will still be commonly used tactics? Yeah, I would say so. And um, I suppose that's just from personal experience. It's very rare that the police uh, force, once it has new uh, powers or, or new um, weapons, would voluntarily give those over or cease using them. It's difficult because we've seen this sort of militarization of the police, you know, this, uh, as uh, Ilu was describing, sort of deployment of the bearcats or these projectile weapons in response to protests where there have been violence. Uh, personally, and I have, you know, grave concerns that as we move into post-pandemic protesting, uh, events by Extinction Rebellion or uh, the Invasion Day rally, I'm concerned about how the police will uh, uh, approach those events and what sort, of, um, what sort of equipment will be used or tactics will be used to police them. And so that there's a real concern about how the question of proportionality might have shifted um, during this sort of lockdown protest and the police response to those. I totally agree with you, Tom. I feel like, and we've seen this historically 
where governments and law enforcement bodies have used like a very extreme event as an excuse to then roll out the use of the same type of technology or um, law enforcement to then quell usually the left. Um, If you look at things like surveillance that came out of 9-11 and we're still ramping up our surveillance capabilities even 20 years after um, that's happened and they've used that as an event to just create a mass surveillance state and I think we see that sort of in a policing context as well. Um, I'll go to the next question now, sort of leading on from what we were already talking about. It's a really common occurrence that police flood um, protests. We saw it with the mounted police surrounding people in the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. And then, of course, some of the horrific footage that came out of the IMARC protest in 2019, where police were um, punching protesters and covering their badges and so on. Um, Tom, I'll start with you and then I'll go to Ilu. What are our legal rights when it comes to police um, and the use of police power? Yeah, it's a, it's a question that we get asked a lot, um, you know, uh, when we run the Know Your Rights sessions through MALS and things like that. And it's very, even though there are rights under the legislation, it's very difficult to be clear because on the ground, on the day, um, things get very messy and it's hard for people to, to you know, argue their way out of being arrested or argue to police and say, look, I've got a right to do this. It often doesn't help the situation on the day, but um, police rights, have, uh, sorry, citizens' rights have been different during um, the pandemic because of the extraordinary powers um, under the Public Health and Wellbeing Act. But um, usually police powers are, are limited um, by uh Crimes Act, as well as the Victoria Police Manual, police uh, powers can generally only be exercised if they've got a reasonable belief that you've committed an offence or are about to commit an offence. Um, so basic rights that people can exercise at those protest events, uh, police have to identify themselves uh, if you ask. Um, so you should be knowing which police officer you're, you're dealing with. Sometimes we've seen concerning trends where police have covered up their identification. Um, and uh, in certain circumstances, they can ask you to identify yourself. But beyond that, people have the right to silence. So you don't have to, to speak to police beyond identifying yourself. You've got the right to a lawyer. So it's important if you are arrested to uh, request that legal advice, particularly before you start talking to police. In terms, just lastly, in terms of being searched, we've also seen a great uh, expansion in terms of designated areas under the Control of Weapons Act. Uh, I was looking at the date, but I have a recollection that the police had designated the whole of the Melbourne CBD as a designated area, which essentially gives them the power to stop and search anybody without reasonable belief. So um, we do have rights, it's important to exercise them, but yeah, often we see on the day it's hard to, to argue with police to say that, you know, I've got a right to be here or I've got a right to do this. Yeah, and if I can just add quickly, uh, you know, I'd reiterate that point, Tom, that um, there's a difference between what's what's our rights on paper and then what happens in the street. You know, as, as a legal observer, when you're out there, you know exactly what police should be doing, and a lot of the times they don't do that. So trying to 
uh, argue with the police about what they should be doing um, really doesn't help when when a lot of the times police completely uh, ignore that. And so, you know, some of the best tips is to just be able to record, you know, stay calm and record every little bit of detail that you can so that after the fact, we, we you know, you can take that to people like like us at PAP or to Mal's or to, uh, you know, other lawyers to keep those um, officers, keep them to account. Thanks, Hilary. That's great. Um, so recording recording police misconduct, is there any other tips that you have, Hilary, that people should be mindful when they are protesting and they are seeing uh, abuse of police power? Uh, look, I think it's important to stay safe. Obviously, you know, um, you yourself, if you see something happening, uh, you know, 100% take your phone out and record it. This day of day and age of social media and phones everywhere, it's, you know, one of the most powerful tools we've seen um, to actually keep police to account because it, there's that public record. Uh, but it's also important to keep yourself safe and you're at a, at a safe distance because it's very easy to get caught up in at that moment and, you know, become the target of what the police are, you know, police attention. So keep yourself safe, record at a safe distance. Um, we always say to people, record horror uh, landscape. <laughs> Don't A lot of people tend to record in a portrait mode, but try to record landscape because it captures more of the, of the um, scene. Um, and sometimes a lot of people like to narrate. Um, narration can be good, but a lot of the times what we need to hear is what the officers are saying or, you know, some of the evidence that's coming out of the scene itself. So maybe narration just to say um, where you are in the time and the day but then the rest of it really should be listening to what's happening on the scene. Thanks, uh, Ilo. Um, as I, I've personally been a legal observer before, and I can definitely vouch for how useful it is to to record and take notes uh, during a protest, especially after when a lot of things can go down during uh, a protest that you can look back and check what's been going on and speak to other people about it. And um, it can be, you know, an incredibly useful tool to keep uh, police to uh, account. Um, Another question for Ilo is um, about alternatives to the heavy use of police at protests. Ilo, you've had a bit of a more of a a global uh, and international look at human rights observation do you have any ideas or any creative ideas around what could be used as an alternative in 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 considering campaigns for the defunding of police and the carceral system do you you see any other alternatives that's a great great question Dylan I think there's a whole there's a whole conference in that look I've seen really great alternatives to policing overseas especially from Indigenous communities. So I spent some time in Guatemala and worked very closely with a few Indigenous communities where police were just, they were just completely absent. They were, in fact, scared to go to some of these communities because communities just held that ground so strongly that whenever they saw police, they would, um, uh, they would yeah, let's say, scare them off. Um, and so, there, you know, there are these alternatives to policing. Uh, the way I've seen them work has been these real um, interwoven communities where accountability is held at a personal level. And so, you know, when we're using police as a structure to coerce people to do the right thing or to, you know, to, um, or to you know, impart justice through coercion, 
you know, the, the alternatives that I've seen are where we're not coercing people to, to find um, justice, but where they're asking, um, you know, it's all about relationships and this interwoven community. So I think that's 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 one part. But the other part, you know, and something coming closer to 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 Melbourne is for the Invasion Day rallies. You know, we've seen some marshalling that have been, I think, for me, getting better almost every year. Um, in fact, last year I thought the marshalling was absolutely magnificent, and it almost made me think, what's what's the use of having police there when we have such great marshals keeping people safe, keeping COVID restrictions, you know, in place. Um, uh, you almost make the police look irrelevant. And so the more work we can do as a movement to create that marshalling and that, you know, that idea of holding, um, you know, protesting responsible, responsibly, keeping each other accountable, keeping each other safe uh, through marshalling or through other, you know, other works, through community work, um, you almost make the role of the police irrelevant. And so even though they can show up, but they got nothing to do. So it almost it's almost embarrassing. Um, and so I thought that, you know, I think that's also a really, really interesting uh, model. Oh, I'd just like to endorse that completely. It's uh, just, I suppose, from a personal perspective, a lot of protests that we see putting the lockdown, like anti-vax or anti-lockdown protests to one side. A lot of protests are concerned citizens expressing their political beliefs, you know, taking time out of their day to, to take a stand. And so it seems very strange when you might have a, a group of people, you know, casually dressed on one side, uh, holding up placards or whatever, and then you've got this row of public order response police, riot police, mounted police on horses, um, and it, what it really says is that, uh, you know, the state is essentially treating them like criminals to begin with, assuming that they're going to be violent. And so having a model where you're asking marshals to, to you know, monitor the situation and, and create that safety within that um, event or within the broader community really recognises that, that right to protest in a far better way. Um, and it really makes you question why the default response of, of the state of Victoria is to increasingly treat protesters like violent criminals, uh, you know, potential violent criminals who are about to start a riot. Um, it just is a very strange way, from my perspective, to, to go about policing these events, particularly when you see groups like Extinction Rebellion or the Invasion Day Rally, where, where people are really talking about issues within the community. Uh, and expressing their political. Yeah, I'm doing some virtual clicks with all of that. I totally agree. Um, and I think that particularly on both of your points around the marshalling, if you think about the Black Lives Matter protests last year and the marshalling there was phenomenal and they almost, as a, a, they do, in my view, make the police completely irrelevant, sort of what Ilo was saying. And with all the funding that they put into police to be able to be present in those protests, maybe they could listen to communities' demands and what they're actually saying and put some funding into programs to support the outcomes that we're seeking. But that's a whole different discussion. So thank you both for being here. That was a really great discussion. It was really good to hear from you both. Uh, I'll just get quickly, Ilu, if you can talk about where to go if you have a police complaint or how to access the MALS training. And uh, thank you very much. No worries. Uh, yeah, quickly, um, if you've got a police complaint or you know issues with police, you can come and visit us at PAP, um, the Police Accountability Project. Uh, you can look us up, Google us, and um, fill out a form, and we can help you out. Um, 
And if you're interested in joining MALS, well, um, just shoot us an email. Uh, again, you can Google us at Melbourne Activist Legal Support. Um, shoot us an email and we'll make sure that to send you all the relevant information. Fantastic. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. 3CR is a community-funded and run radio station. We rely on your donations and subscriptions to continue shining a light on community issues, supporting campaigns for justice and amplifying community voices. If you've enjoyed our program at Done By Law, please donate or subscribe by visiting our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You have been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM on the 19th of October with your hosts, Indy and Dylan. You can listen to this show on your radio, online, or where you get your podcasts from. 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcasts. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app or listen live each Monday at midday.